Thank you for joining the Element Church Podcast, where we exist to guide people to experience life to its fullest, connect into meaningful relationships, and make a lasting impact. Wherever you're listening from today, we hope this message inspires and strengthens your faith. Good morning, everybody. Can you feel it? Christmas almost here. Are you excited? Are you stressed? I don't know. I'm... I'm both, if I'm just going to be honest. You know, I can think of no better way, though, to celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ than by being here with you today, worshiping together and hearing from the Word. And my name is Buzz, and I have the privilege of serving here as the lead pastor. And especially if you're new, I want to say welcome to you. And then I want to tell you about a couple of experiences I had in the last couple of weeks around here in Cheyenne. You know, my friend Florine was here a couple of weeks back. I don't know if you got a chance to meet him, but what do you do when you have a guest? You go out to eat. We went to Texas Roadhouse, which I really like their rolls, okay? On the way out, they had a sign on the door and it said like only 17 shopping days until Christmas. And I was like, even Texas Roadhouse is trying to get my money. And then my sister and my brother were in town and my folks. And so we went downtown to two doors down. I really like burgers. I had some sort of magical burger with fried onions and barbecue sauce. And uh, I don't know why I'm talking about food. I don't know if I skipped breakfast or something. Uh, but on the way out, there was some Christmas music playing overhead. And my sister, who I love a lot, said something like, this is the best Christmas song that there is. And I was like, oh, wow. Natasha is not normally so opinionated. Let me he- take a listen and hear what it is. What do you think that it was? You're 100% wrong. Whatever you think it was, because it was Winter Wonderland. And I was like, this is a decent song, Natasha, but I don't know that it's the best song ever. You know, in the winter, we can build a snowman. Uh, doesn't get it for me. You know, my kids tried to build a snowman. It blew into Nebraska. And I was like, man, <laughs> better luck next time. Better luck next time. So, like, I love my sister. We see eye to eye about almost everything. In fact, we had the very same burger there at Two Doors Down. But Christmas music, I don't know. So I was hoping that you guys would help me this morning. You know, I don't want a lot. I don't want a lot for Christmas. But there's one thing I need. I don't need a lot of presents under the Christmas tree. I want for my own more than you could ever know. Make my wish come true. Vote in my poll, okay? We're going to have a poll coming up on the screen. There's a QR code, and then take out your phone and go to elementchurch.life slash vote. It's everybody's dream to be on your cell phone at church. Maybe you are checking the score of the World Cup game. Why did they schedule that during church? That's a lack of foresight. Uh, I'm a big soccer fan. Uh, and we're going to vote on two things today. We're going to vote on our favorite Christmas song and probably much more importantly, our least favorite Christmas song. We're going to solve it here this morning. So go here to elementchurch.life slash vote. If you're joining us online, you guys can do this as well in real time. You do have to answer both questions. And so we'll take a minute to do that. And then we'll look at some of the results. Now, I chose these five options, and so if you are mad that your favorite Christmas song is not on one of the five, you can email our complaints department. It's jared at elementchurch.life. We would love to hear from you. We would love it, all right? And so, all right, we got some results coming in. This is our least favorite Christmas songs. And look, this is all in real time. It's, I can't even, it's mind-bending. Okay. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Only a hippopotamus will do. Is there anywhere in town that sells hippopotamuses? Does anybody know this? This is actually Leslie, our children's director. It's her favorite Christmas song. So if you voted, if you are one of these 31.1%, I want you to go back there and apologize to her. Grandma got run over by a reindeer. That's Aaron Wilson's favorite Christmas song. And so I don't know why she's so exuberant about Christmas, but there it is. 
simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Now, my college roommate and I play a game every Christmas. Whenever that song comes on, which neither of us like, by the way, we call the other one. And then if you can call them first, you win, right? And I don't need to let you know. I'm sure you have assumed. I win all the time. It might be that he doesn't even play, but you know what? I won this year. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time by Paul McCartney. I don't like it at all. Pastor Cat loves it. It's her favorite Christmas song. So if you are one of these 12.4%, you can apologize to her. Uh, all I want for Christmas is you. That's a good song. But Christmas Shoes is terrible. And 27.6% of you guys saw that light. Congratulations. I want to buy these shoes for my mom. Why doesn't the store owner just give the shoes to the kid? Hello? His mom is in trouble. It's very sad. It's very sad. I don't want to be sad at Christmas. I want to be happy. And so let's look at the next slide and maybe we'll be a little bit happier. Okay. Others, 6.8% the first Noel. That's a good song, you guys. We should have more votes there. We Three Kings, 3.7%. Isn't that a, like a movie with iced tea? Is that, you guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, Carol of the Bells, 30%. Now, my friend Florine was here. You guys remember Sunday night, somebody asked him, I think it was Rachel asked him, what's a Romanian tradition? They'll go door to door caroling. And then, uh, by door to door, they mean they start at like midnight Christmas morning and they'll show up at your house and invade your home and expect you to give them chocolate and tea. What is going on? And they'll sing Christmas carols. But for Florine, and I think he's right about this, a Christmas carol means that it sings about Jesus and is worshipful, right? So Carol of the Bells doesn't actually sing about Christ. And so, no offense, that's the wrong choice. So, 27.5% of us are wrong. Uh, 14.4%, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I love that song. And like, the sadder and slower, the better, right? I love it. And then, O Holy Night is my favorite Christmas song. So, half of the room, congratulations, you guys. There's no prize at all, but you guys can feel really good about yourself. <laughs> uh, there's, I don't know, Spotify always plays the, the good versions of that for me. What, what is the point? What are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing with this? Well, A, I wanted to learn about your musical taste. But B, really, this was inspired in part by a conversation I had with Pastor Jared, you know, our worship pastor, about Christmas songs and Christmas music and Christmas worship. You know, I don't know if you guys think about me like a giant Grinch or something, but I really like Christmas music. I think it's awesome to have a special time of the year where we have music reserved and set aside in a special way. We can celebrate it every single December. I'm an after-Thanksgiving person. You can start it. Others of you are December 1 people. You can start it. Some faith traditions start Christmas music on Christmas Day. These are like the heavy Advent people. But this is kind of Jared's point, that we make Christmas music all about what we like and what we want and our traditions and all of this kind of a thing. And he challenged me that, this isn't a good thing, but he thinks that many of us make Christmas music more often about nostalgia or memory than it is about worshiping our Lord and Savior. We love the idea of Christmas songs or how it makes us feel, but we don't love necessarily worshiping our Savior. And at first I was like, I don't think I agree with that. But then I thought about it more and I thought, you know what? It is true. Christmas music, we don't think about it like worship music. We think about it in terms of what we like or what we get out of it or what sounds good or the kind of songs you used to play as a kid or what works for you or your upbringing in the past. Or maybe I can even ask it this way. Are you disappointed we didn't start our worship service today with singing? I got up on stage and you were like, oh, man, you know, it's OK. I know that's how you felt because that's your favorite part is singing. And it's kind of about us, isn't it? Often when we think about Christmas music or even worship more generally. 
Now, I do think it's true to an extent that worship should be something that we enjoy and get joy from and find life in. And these are all good things, but it's primarily true, I think, that worship is about giving glory to God, not about us. Worship is primarily about giving glory to God, and it's not about us. And so let me ask you kind of our key question for this morning. Are you so devoted to the nostalgia of worship, especially Christmas music, that you forget its purpose, which is to lift our Lord and Savior on high, glorify him and magnify him? So that's what I want to unpack today. Are we so devoted to nostalgia that we forget to worship the Lord with our whole hearts? I want to look at Luke's account of the birth of Christ in chapter 2 and see what is the purpose of worship? What does it do for the Lord? But how does it shape us or form us or impact us or motivate us or challenge us or inspire us? I want to look at chapter 2, verses 13 and following and see if we can't see the purpose of worship in Christ's birth and how we might learn from that and how it might be the same for us. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 13. We'll put it up on the screen for you as well. Luke writes this way. He says, suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others. The armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. All right, so here we see a couple different groups of people, angels or shepherds or Mary, worshiping the Lord. And, you know, it's probably worth defining worship a bit here at the beginning And I just want to say that worship is anything we do to bring glory to God. Anything we do, whether it's a kind word or generosity in giving or uh, hearing from the preaching of the word like this, this is a time of worship together. But I want to focus on worship today primarily in the musical singing act of worship. That's what most of us often think of, and I think that's largely correct. So when we talk about worship today, I'm talking about music and singing just like that choir of angels did here in Luke 2. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. So I see three aspects of this worship today I want to share with you. And I'm grateful to my friend, Dr. Glenn Packham, for the phrasing that he puts in his book, Worship in the World to Come. I'll use Glenn's terms, but only because I think they're right on in terms of where we see the impact of worship here in Luke 2. And so we're going to look at three lenses, kind of. We're going to look at worship as encountering God, worship as mission, and then worship as spiritual formation. So the first of those is we're going to see worship as we encounter God. Or in other words, when we encounter God, worship points us to the truth of who Christ is. Worship points us to the truth of who Christ is. I see this in Luke 2 in verses 13, 14, and 15. I'll just kind of reread those for us here. It says, Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the whole armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. You know, you might have heard a term like uh, after a worship and singing, like I really felt God's presence there 
or that worship was really anointed or, or something like this. And this is the sense we're getting at here, that that sense that musical worship brings us into God's presence and impacts us in a way that nothing else really does or can. You know, the author Kurt Vonnegut once said that if we don't glimpse the transcendent at some point in a worship service, what are we even doing? You know, Kurt Vonnegut is not a follower of Jesus, but I think he gets this encounter lens of worship that we are talking about. If we don't glimpse something transcendent, maybe we should. Now, what I love about encountering God in worship is that this action is reciprocal. In other words, what I mean by that is as we give our glory to God, he gives us back something as well. We worship the Lord, but he gives us his presence and his blessing. So, of course, it's not about us. It's about the Lord. But God, in his goodness, chooses to have us participate in this act as well. In other words, encountering God is encountering something good. And that means it's good for us, too. As we encounter God in worship, something good happens, both for him and for us. You know, here in Luke 2, we saw one angel giving a, a message to the shepherds. And then as we jumped in in our reading, a whole multitude joined in and confirmed that message and expanded it in worship. The shepherds don't get the privilege of seeing God directly, but they see his glory, they see his peace, and they see the heavenly host. And I love the New Living Translation that we're using today, pulls out the sense of that word from the Hebrew, that the heavenly host really is the armies of heaven. It's like a, like a warfare imagery, or that our way of battling the dark forces in this world includes worship. I love that element worship even has a, has a tagline in our thread of saying our own worship that we are on the front lines. Have you heard that about element worship? We want to be bold and we want to be truthful in what we sing. We want to honor God and we want to lift his name high each and every week, just like the angels, just like the armies of heaven do all around the throne. But you know what? This warfare, this singing, this even element music phrasing of we are on the front lines, to me it has very little to do actually with what happens here on the stage. And we already talked about the nostalgia factor that Christmas music has, but I think it's also true of worship more generally. Like We like worship because we like how it sounds, or we like the volume level that Element Church dials it in at, or we like it that the worship team is skilled. We like how they sing for us or to us. But that's not really what the worship team is doing, is it? The worship team is leading us in worship together. In fact, one of the words for worship in Greek, especially the one referring to the gathering of body like we're doing today, is liturgia, which means something like the work of the people. The work of the people, not the work of the worship leader, not the work of the pastor. Not the work of the songwriter, not the work of nostalgia, not the work of our feelings, the work of the people. You and I singing together, this is what worship is. It's for all of us. And one of the most common criticisms of forms of worship today is that they feel like concerty. Have you ever heard this or maybe even felt this? But I think that's primarily because we, the congregation who sings, and I put myself in that number because nobody wants me on the worship team singing into a microphone, uh, we have to put our heart into it as participants. If we don't, of course it feels like somebody's singing to you or over you. Now there's a time for that, of course, and singing out isn't the only response that we can have to the Lord, but if you just stand there with your coffee and kind of disinterested, kind of looking to see what sort of cool chords Jared has dialed in for us this week, like... That's not what they're doing in Luke 2, is it? In fact, this one angel is joined by an entire heavenly host, an angel army, 
a whole choir doing the work of warfare and worship, declaring that Christ is born. Not putting on a concert for their angel overseers, but joining their hearts and minds and souls and spirits into this glorious opportunity to worship our Savior and encounter him as we do so. And so we, today, having seen Christ born and raised and coming again, have the opportunity to do just like these angels did, to take the way that the glory of the God has impacted our souls and return it to him in this act of worship. And in doing so, we encounter him in a special and unique and transcendent way. We can do like the shepherds did, to be so impacted by this worship that we have to go and see things for ourselves. And that really brings me to the second way that worship can form us as disciples, which is, secondly, we see that worship results in the mission of God. Worship shows others who Christ is. So the mission of God, meaning that worship shows others the truth of who Christ is. Let's look at verses 16 through 18 and see what these shepherds did after they got to worship with the angels. Luke tells us that they hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who had heard the shepherd's story were astonished. Did you catch that? This worship of the Savior, this witness that the shepherds bore to Jesus, born and lying in a manger, it isn't something they just kept to themselves. They weren't able to witness Emmanuel, God with us, lying right there in the manger and go away unchanged. Of course not. Seeing Jesus fully naturally results in wanting to tell everyone about him. You know, each Christmas, Tara, my wife, loves to throw a certain type of Christmas party. She calls it a favorite things party. It's a Joanna Gaines idea, so you know it's good, right? Each guest comes and they wrap up like a small gift for each attender, which is supposed to be one of the favorite things you have discovered in that prior calendar year. So one year we received uh, the Blondie mix from Trader Joe's. You guys know what I'm talking about? It changed my life. Unbelievable. One egg, one butter, one oven. Amazing, right? My favorite thing that year. This year, Tara brought as her gift this corn salsa from Trader Joe's. Have you guys had this stuff? It will change your life. It's unbelievable. $2 in a jar of corn. This is the best. Apparently, Trader Joe's knows a thing or two about great snacks at affordable prices. I don't know why I'm a Trader Joe's ad today, but this corn salsa, it makes us, this taco salad is so good. The vinegariness and the tanginess of the red pepper, unbelievable. If you're my sister, she puts Dorothy Lynch dressing on it. It's like the best thing ever, right? I'm Tell everybody, put Dorothy Lynch on your taco salad. I didn't have the idea, but I got to see this because it's changed my life. Even my son Asher said to my sister when she was visiting, I had Chick-fil-A sauce for the first time and it changed my life, right? (laughs) At age nine, he's getting it right. (laughs) But I wonder why we are so comfortable sharing things like a new snack that I enjoy or an experience that I've had, or a movie you've got to see, or a good sale at a Christmas store, 75% off, you know, or a good deal on a product, or a special recipe, or a Christmas tradition. We'll share this all the time to everybody who will listen. But we're so uncomfortable sharing our experience with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I wonder why that is. Why are we so prone to say that a snack changed my life, yet so reluctant to say that Jesus changed my life? Why do we join up to swap desserts and gifts, but it's harder to join up and swap Bible reading and prayer? Why do we invite a friend to a restaurant, but it's hard to invite a friend to church? Why do I tell everybody who listens about my fantasy football team, but nobody about my prayer requests or answered prayers? 
What is it about our relationship with Jesus that makes us want to hide it or shirk away or run the other way? Now, it's true we can go too far with this, of course. If we overshare or bludgeon people with our Christianity when they're not interested or we're hypocritically performing on the outside, like none of that is good. Those are all dangers. But I'm saying this morning that true worship of our Savior should change us. We should not be the same after encountering Jesus Christ. We should have an inward change which motivates us towards an outward action. And one of those ways that we change is in worship. And so true worship, as it changes us, should inspire us to witness about the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We find this in worship every week. And so I wonder, when was the last time you left a worship service or a worship experience just bursting at the seams, like unable to hold the good news of Christ in your own heart any longer? When was the last time an encounter with Christ left you feeling like you do when you have that money burning a hole in your pocket, like you just got to spend it and give this good news to somebody? When was the last time you encountered Jesus and it simply demanded that you share it with someone else? You know, Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 5. He tells us that we're like the light of the world, like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nobody puts a lamp under a basket. Instead, the lamp is put on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus tells us, shine your good deeds out for all to see that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And so when we encounter our Lord Jesus Christ, we should come away changed in a way that is clear for all to see. We should bear witness to his coming with our actions, with our words, with our invitation. And worship is one of these venues or these contexts or these experiences that allows us to come face to face with Jesus, just like the shepherds did. And I would love it if we would carry their same evangelistic passion with us. Did you notice who the shepherds told about Jesus? Luke says that they told everyone. And I think if the shepherds can tell everyone, maybe we can at least tell someone, you know? I love that the shepherds had this boldness to witness after their very first encounter with Jesus. You know, there's somebody else in Luke 2 who had quite a bit longer to think about and unpack these happenings or these great acts of God in human history, these testimonies from angels. And that's, of course, Jesus' mother Mary. In her response, we see that worship results in spiritual formation, which is to say that worship grows us deeper in the truth of who Christ is. Worship grows us deeper in the truth of who Christ is. I see this in verses 19 and 20. Luke writes it this way. He says, Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. You guys remember Pastor Derry, who was the interim pastor here at Element Church for much of 2022? He's amazing, right? And he was in Denver recently, so I got the opportunity to meet up with him at Fort Collins Lima Coffee Roasters. See, here's more great stuff that you should write down. That's an amazing place, right? When I have good news about a coffee shop, I have to share it. And uh, Derry had good news for me about a book he had just bought at this conference. It's from one of my favorite New Testament writers, a man named Luke Timothy Johnson, who kind of gave his life to the study of the Gospel of Luke. It's his memoir of being a scholar and his hopes of encouraging a younger generation of thinkers and researchers and readers and so on how to best serve in that vocation. And I resonated with it quite a bit, not least because the title summed up how I often feel. The title of his memoir is The Mind in Another Place. And uh, yeah, it's kind of funny, right? But this is, in Luke Timothy's view, the vocation of a scholar, always thinking about something other than that which is right in front of your nose, right? This is where we get the trope of the absent-minded professor. And it's a bit unfortunate how accurate that caricature really is 
and how it describes me at times. Now, a pastor isn't the same as a scholar, but I confess I enjoy like abstract thinking and, and like get distracted about musing about who God is or what he's like and what he means to each of us. And I'm hopeful that some of the fruits of that thinking are even presented in my messages and as we encourage one another towards a relationship with Christ. But the first time I dipped into this book, A Mind in Another Place, I was back at Lima Coffee Roasters for some reason, and I was so emotionally touched that I had to put the book down. Like, it just really got to me. And then, wouldn't you know it, I left that book behind at that coffee shop in Fort Collins, my mind in some other place. How ironic. Unbelievable. A book about absent-mindedness, and I left it behind. (laughs) Fortunately, Tara was there, and she left a couple hours later. She gathered it up for me. But that experience, like of realizing that the truth of ideas or the meaning of experiences, it takes time to think through it and unpack it and process it, and chew on it, and your mind sometimes is in another place. And this is the task that the Bible calls meditate on his word day and night. This is, I think, closer to the experience that Mary shows us here in Luke 2. She's not pondering and treasuring the truth of all of these events because she's absent-minded or because she just wants to be somewhere else, like rescued from her present experiences. I think she's pondering and treasuring these things in her heart Because the weight and depth and beauty of truth that Jesus offers us, it takes a lifetime to appreciate. So on the one hand, it's true that even one experience of worshiping our Savior can cause us to be so filled with joy, we have to tell everyone. That's what the shepherds experience. But I think it's also true that we will be growing deeper and deeper in knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ for our entire lifetime. Worship is one of these spaces that God has given us for reflection and for depth and for spiritual growth. You know, I love to put myself in Mary's shoes sometimes, and she didn't have anybody to help her process the events that she was experiencing. Nobody before got to be the mother of the Messiah. She's figuring it out as she goes. It's not normal that angels show up to announce the birth of your child. Not normal, right? It's not normal that shepherds break into the stable where you've given birth. Itself not normal. And go away telling everybody that your child was born, the Messiah is here. Even if you were warned in advance, like Mary was, by an angel, this has to be a surreal experience that takes them getting used to. So she treasures, she thinks, she meditates, she unpacks. And so we have some advantages over Mary in terms of understanding who Jesus is. We have the whole written scripture testifying of Jesus' life in his words and his impact. We have 2,000 years of people walking and talking with Jesus and sharing their wisdom with us. And in our country here, we have the freedom to gather every Sunday, just like today, and worship with freedom together to learn from one another as we pursue the Lord. We have the opportunity to sing well-loved worship songs that have been honed and sharpened and testify about the truth of who God is and what he is for us. In other words, we can sing Silent Night every Christmas, and Mary lived it, you know? We get to see the fruits of her meditation on the Lord, and we get to sing Away in the Manger every Christmas. She got to put Jesus in the manger. She got to see him growing and ministering and teaching in real time, and we get to look back and experience that blessing of it. But it's also true that we get to live like Mary, because we experience Jesus fresh and new every day, don't we? He's living and active in each of our lives. So let me ask you, when was the last time a truth about Jesus caused you to pause and reflect and treasure something in your heart like Mary did? When was the last time that a conviction of sin or an encouragement to bear fruit in Christ just stopped you short such that you had to just meditate and chew on what Jesus was teaching you? 
When was the last time you got to repeat truths about Christ, word by word, line by line, with brothers and sisters in the Lord in such a way that it formed you more deeply into his image as your relationship with God became ever closer? Now, it's possible, if not probable, that those things happened in the context of worship. Not in nostalgia or remembering the good old days, but in real time, real life worship as the blessing of God unfolds in our lives day by day. And so as we worship the Lord, we are doing like Mary did, pondering truths about Jesus, reflecting on them, and then offering them back to him. If we do this wholeheartedly, we get to grow in the depth of truth about who God is and what Jesus means to each and every one of us. So worship's not just about nostalgia. It's not about remembering. It's not about songs we like or music that is catchy. It's not a performance or something to be endured. No, worship is an encounter with the living God. Worship prepares us for the mission of God, and worship forms us into the character of God. And so let me ask you, how can we offer our worship and praise to the Lord today? You know, as you might have noticed, we withheld our normal time of musical worship and singing until the end so that we might be sparked by these truths in Luke 2 and prepare us to encounter him today. Not with nostalgia, not making it about ourselves, but about the Lord with a pure heart and with clear eyes. So let me encourage you with just three quick things before we worship together. And so firstly... We need to remember that worship is about Jesus and not about us. Worship's about the Lord and not about us. And so even as we're talking about the way that it grows us or changes us or forms us, it's really all about him at the end of the day. Worship demands that we drop our self-centeredness and focus on Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, the risen Savior. Not about your favorite songs or your best memories or the pitch with which you sing or your proper posture for an outward performance. Worship is about Jesus. He is worthy of all honor and praise and glory. And so let's give him our whole hearts, our whole lives today. John the Baptist declared that I must decrease that he might increase. And so this morning as we sing together, let's make it about him. Let's decrease ourselves and increase his glory. All right, my second encouragement today is to be like the angels. Invite somebody to come and see You know, in Luke 2, we saw that the angels and the shepherds invited people to worship, and by that they meant to come and see who Jesus is. The angels looked at God's glory, and they demanded that they invite others. The shepherds' clarity of truth upon seeing Jesus meant they couldn't keep it to themselves. They told everyone. So who's the someone that we are telling? Who are you praying for to see Jesus? Who in your life is having a hard time that the hope of Christ can lift Who has the Lord sent you to go out and gather? And so invite them. Say, come and see what God has done. Be like the angels. Be like the shepherds. Maybe that's as easy as inviting somebody to our Christmas Eve services. We have them at 11, 1, and 3. Perhaps it's in your personal testimony or an invitation to pray at work or just a continued shining of your light before men, like Jesus told us in Matthew 5. And so whatever form it takes, let's let our worship today catapult us into his mission I don't want our worship to be hidden here in these four walls. We need to take the glory of God outside into our community and into our world. And so our third encouragement today is that you would present your whole life to Jesus as a living act of worship. And so here I'm inviting you to be like Mary, to continue to meditate and think and pray and reflect on who God is when the exuberance and the emotion of our musical worship fades away. I'm inviting you to let this worship experience impact your whole life not just today on Sunday morning 
I'm encouraging you to let the Holy Spirit form you as we worship together in a way that brings life right now, but that changes us for forever. And so may our worship today make us more patient. May it make us more forgiving. May it make us more loving. May it make us more truthful. May it make us more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the object of our worship, the author and finisher of our faith. Will you pray with me as we prepare to sing? And so, Lord God, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us in fresh and new ways each and every day. God, we thank you that the shepherds got to see the angels worshiping Jesus. God, may we worship in that same way. Father, we thank you that the angels saw you face to face. God, may we see you that same way. We thank you, Lord God, that Mary treasured and pondered and thought and unpacked. And maybe that's where we're at today, Father. May we do the same. As we offer our hearts, our minds, ourselves to you today, would you be in the midst? Would you shape us? Would you change us? Would you form us? Would you be honored and lifted up? Lord, may we decrease and may you increase today as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are encouraged by today's message, be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast or follow us on social media. To learn more about our gathering times in Cheyenne, Wyoming, or to take your next step, visit our website, elementchurch.life. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next week right here on the Element Church Podcast.